Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. Ready? We're ready. Okay. So we don't love to prepare too, too much because we don't want oh. it to be super curated. Yes. Um, but we want our audience to learn all the things about you and your gifts and the things that you're bringing to the world. So we are very honored to have Christina Rasmussen on our podcast today to talk about her story and what she helps people with. She is a very talented coach and she's a best-selling author. And she has an incredible online community of engaged uh, people who are interested in talking about and learning from you around grief and loss and all of those things. And so um, we were, I was honored to have you at my business mastermind yesterday. Yes. And it is so, it was really just so magical to see you, especially you, you like went into coaching mode with one of my girls. And I it was know. like <laughs> so amazing to see, like you just switched in and all of a sudden there was just the yes. energy in the room changed. Yeah. And so if that was even just a tiny bit of yes. what you're doing with your community, it's yeah. really, really magical. So thanks for being here. No, thank you for having me. And yesterday was magical. I felt the energy of the room. And and in that in that moment, I just knew I had to make sure that she was going to get something out of it, mm-hmm. not just answering my you know question about my life, but what about the way her life was? Um, and it was, I loved it. I mean, I felt the electricity and the energy all the way through my day. Oh, did you? I was like levitating a little oh. bit. <laughs> you guys, it was like, look, and I'm getting the chills again. <laughs> What's going on with this, right? But it was amazing. So thank you for oh having me. Oh my gosh, yeah. it was so interesting. Yeah. And even you just saying, I want to make sure she got something out of yeah. it. Like, no, we were there to learn from you, yeah. you know? So we ended, yeah. and we end up learning so much more. Yeah. Um, so for people who maybe don't know your story mm-hmm. and kind of where you came from, I loved, you shared it yesterday at the Mastermind. It would be great if you would share it with our audience. Yes, I was actually a stay-at-home mom. And um, with two little babies and uh, very young children, and my husband was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. He was, when the diagnosis took place, he was 31 and I was 30. And I even, even me saying it today after all those years, I, I feel the sadness of that loss and that moment. And my response to his diagnosis was so catastrophic for my body. Uh, we were sitting uh, in front of the doctor. Uh, they called us to go in together. Mm-hmm. And uh, when when the call came in, he turned around. He said to me, "It's uh, I think it's cancer." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. I mean, we're so young. Isabel, my youngest at the time, was nine months old, and Elena was two and a half years old. We had just moved from California to the Boston area. So we were renting this uh, condo uh, in Waltham. And I remember sitting in the kitchen and getting that call. And about four days prior, he had gone to the doctors just to go through his lab work, blood test, and everything was perfect. Mm. The doctor actually said to him, I wish I was as healthy as you. Wow. And then on his way out, he said, oh, and I have this lump here on my neck. And they did a biopsy, and we found out standing right there in that room that the cancer had metastasized. So he was diagnosed at stage four colon cancer at 31, which is so rare that it's it's almost like I don't know, like a, it was almost like an accident that shouldn't have happened. And I remember uh, experiencing dehydration. I never, I don't think I've ever felt anything before or after that that could mimic that experience. It was as if all the water in my body was being removed. When she said, it's cancer and it has metastasized, it, it's coming from the GI tract, we know this from the biopsy, all the way to here. And I turned around, <laughs> I said to her, I want some water right now, I thought I was gonna pass out. And I saw him and he was so white from the news. And, and the reason why I'm sharing this was that that's when my life changed dramatically. Um, We went from just a normal family, as normal, as just a normal, the average family who just had two little kids to, um, he was uh, told that he was going to die in the next six months. And I want to also say that he was everything to me. He was my 
life and Jill when we were chatting in my podcast you know when you were sharing how your relationship was everything to you I couldn't imagine living my life without him and I went to the bathroom, threw up, and then I spent two weeks with a paper paper bag. Actually, I haven't shared that part of my story very often. Uh, maybe it's supposed to be here right now. A paper bag on my mouth um, uh, in bed at night, every night, because I was hyperventilating every night, just knowing that he's going to die. And there was no hope. So that's how everything began. And then we went on a three-and-a-half-year journey of trying to save his life. Uh, he lived for three and a half years and I think he was w- holding on so much to be able to see his kids grow up mm-hmm. um, and just to see them changing, you know. And he was an amazing father and I think for me the biggest loss is that my children grew up without him. He passed away three and a half years later, by the way, I have to say just before that when all the drugs um, And I will tell you when the real adventures began for me wasn't how, you know, I was sharing the story yesterday. Yes, I I started, I resigned from the corporate world. But prior to that, I had an adventure with him that I think maybe shared once before somewhere, but never before. We had run out of all options. No more chemotherapy. It didn't work. He had tried everything and he found this drug Uh, being uh, administered by U.S. doctors in the Philippines. And he says to me, I am going. And we had no money, all of our money. It was paycheck to paycheck. And he said, I'm going to take out our um, Social Security money. And he he got, got it out of the bank. And I said, I don't want you to go. He didn't care. He said, I'm going. Come with me or not. I'm getting on a plane all the way to Manila, Philippines. So, of course, I went with him, and we flew all the way to Manila, Philippines. Um, And we spent a couple of months there. I had to leave my kids behind. My mom flew in from Greece to take care of them, and he nearly died there. Um, So uh, the doctors wouldn't let us get on a plane for me to fly him home. So I lied. (laughs) I said to them, um, they said, we think he's having a bowel, um, uh, there was something that he needed to be hospitalized immediately. And I said, we'll be right there. Instead, I took him to the airport. Wow. He was barely standing. And we stood there. Uh, we got first class tickets. And uh, the guy said to him, he, I mean, he could see there was something wrong. He said, are you okay to fly? Like, and he goes, mm-hmm. I said, oh, yes. And we are talking about a third world country. Yeah. We were surrounded by thousands of people with like, there was just, I, I was losing my, I was literally, my hair was falling. I said to myself, please, whatever power is around, let's get us home, Boston. I get him on the plane. <laughs> Barely, he's in so much pain. Give him masses of morphine. And I get him on the plane and slept, he slept all the way through. We had three flights, we had to stop in multiple locations to get him, and in the ER of Dana-Farber where everything had grown so dramatically. um, He lived for another five months, um, and then he passed away, and when I think back about it all, I have no regrets because we took every risk and we, we, we gave it all we got for him to, to survive, and he didn't, but that's where that life ended and a new life begun. So that's so incredible. And so then how is it that now was it like, okay, immediately, okay, my destiny is to help other people work uh-huh. through their grief. What is, what did that process look like? It was, uh, it took about, uh, four years from that time from his passing to me, uh, being able to to do this, to do any of this, to want to do this, um, I was uh, dis- so distraught that uh, <laughs> my God, uh, talk about it wasn't even rock bottom. I think I was w- I was inside Earth uh, <laughs> <laughs> under all the soil. <laughs> I know it sounds very dramatic, but um, to even get myself on the ground on the on the rock bottom took a lot, and for me to be standing every day, for me to to go to work every day. Now I had to take care of my kids. So my number one thought was, and I teach this now, 
because I spent four, four years, four years in this place. My number one thought was fear. And it was, how are you going to take care of your children? I want to also say I had never worked in the U.S. before. Like, for everyone who's listening, who's wondering, can they do something with their business? Let me just say, do not wonder. <laughs> if I was able to do what I did, so can you. Trust me when I say this. I had nothing and nobody to rely on. And for four years, the number one thought was, Christina, you can't think about making any of your dreams come true. You have to survive this and you have to go to the corporate world. And I know many people, um, and maybe some people are in the corporate world right now and they're thinking that is the only way they can take care of their family. That is the only way they can take care of, of themselves. And that's, and, and, and why leave that? Why leave that safety? So that was my brain and it took me there and I worked at a company called, it's okay to say it, right? Carexcel, very big company. It is the clinical trials organization. So imagine all the clinical trials uh, that take place in the world. They are the ones that make sure that they happen. Mm. So Novartis and all the the big drug companies um, go there uh, to get their clinical trials done. So I worked for them. And I started at this administrative level um, where a 20-something year old, and I was sharing this yesterday, was telling me what to do. And I went from, my husband has just died, a single mom, <laughs> at a job that I hated so much. I had panic attacks going into work every day. I was crying. It was on the 10th floor. I would get into the elevator, and I would just cry, 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 cry. And then, I don't even know what, <laughs> it was almost like, and I know people who are listening who have a job like this, and they hate it so much. Yep. And it's like death. So I went from death to more death. So let's destroy everything, right? So my survivor, I call it the fear center. I call it the survivor self. And my survivor is like, just survive, just survive, get health insurance for your kids. So I did this for these three, four years. And um, one day when I was better, when I was on the earth, not inside of it, (laughs) (laughs) I've never used that metaphor, but when I was standing, Um, I was able to turn around and say, I think I deserve a better life. Mm. And maybe the first time, for the first time, I wanted to to take care of myself as well as my kids. So when we go through something really difficult, we actually deny pleasure. We deny uh, confidence. um, You know, we deny so many things for ourselves and we deprive even more. Than, than loss. Why know? do we do that, do you think? You know, it's a coping mechanism. And when the, the fear center, the survivor self says, um, you got to do whatever you can to make it through, it doesn't say go and get a job where your best talents and skills are used. It says go and get the job that will give you the best health insurance because you don't have anyone else um, to take care of that. Uh, our health insurance was through his job. And, and he had a great job, um, but the day uh, he died, everything, actually, they came about three or four days before he died, uh, the HR sent us documents in the ER for us to sign, to terminate, so, the, so that he's not longer pay, getting paid full-time, because his amazing boss uh, was withholding information to make sure that mm-hmm. they didn't know that, because he was working full-time mm-hmm, still. Mm-hmm. So he said to him, Every t- anytime you want to, to have chemotherapy, you go and I will cover for you. So they found out he was really sick three or four days before he died. Wow. So, but they sent the paper. So the corporate world is good for health insurance, and, but very bad for, um, for, for life and hum- hu- human, uh, human experience. So I resigned in 2010. Um, and cried my eyes out uh, because I was doing really well according to the corporate culture. Um, and I walked out from that experience. Well, you said you were kind of surviving for yes. those four years after. Yeah. But wouldn't you even say you were surviving for like seven and a half years from the day you diagnosed? I feel like mm-hmm. maybe there was that survival. Yes. And then how was that getting, trying to just keep him alive? How was that different after he died? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, actually, 
I was meeting with the principal of the elementary school for my, one of my daughters, and she looked at me and she said, I know you're going through a lot right now, and he was still alive then, um, but dying. Um, and she goes, whatever you've been through, will, what you're about to go through will be much worse. Mm. And I said, how much worse can it get? I'm like, is that rude? I'm trying to figure out if that's like rude yeah. as hell to say. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and when he died, it was uh, worse. Um, so I went from uh, surviving. I was the one driving him to Dana Farber. You know the drive to, uh, you know, the like all those beautiful areas. I hated that drive because that was for me full of pain. Um, so I went from taking care of little babies, taking care of a dying husband, to then him dying and taking. <laughs> And my kids, and I actually wrote on my blog last week for the first time I shared this story, I went from maybe even being hopeful that you never know. And we, we were living like this for three and a half years. So, hey, maybe we can live longer like this. Maybe he will uh, defy the odds, maybe. And I went from that to questioning reality and w what, happened, what happens now in my kids. Um, having to tell my kids that their dad was gone, that was the most traumatic, mm. uh, painful experience of my life. So... It was more pain, same surviving, but more pain mm -hmm. afterwards, yeah. So when you decided to quit your job, was it because your online community was blowing up <laughs> and you were like, I'm going to do this thing and have this blog and like, okay, so what was that transition? Yeah, so now imagine I had no understanding knowledge of anything online, zero. <laughs> I want to I emphasize that. So I'm standing there in my kitchen about to quit the next day this whole world that I'm in now didn't even exist in my mind. I went from, you know, working full-time the corporate job uh, because that's the whole world that I thought I, uh, that existed. And, and maybe there are people in the world that still think that is the only world that exists. I went from that to, and I was in HR, so I said to myself, okay, I will uh, then resign and I will start uh, consulting business called HR, CR, something. I was like coming up with the worst names you can imagine. Christina's HR company. There you go, Christina's <laughs> HR company. And I was used to coaching leaders and firing and hiring. I had fired and hired so many people. Like I had become a pro in this. It was a horrible job. He's <laughs> <laughs> really good at so that. So I'm like, okay, I will do consulting. Um, that lasted, the idea of that... The moment, and this is what I'm going to say, the moment you step out of the chapter and the old life and you really say, okay, I don't want to do this anymore, and you do something about it and you step out, then the new life, um, the new life, and I'm, you guys can't see me, but I'm pointing over there, the new life is slowly starting to get closer and you start to access ideas and possibilities from the future. Mm -hmm. So... I quit thinking I'm going to use my HR uh, knowledge. I had an, a postgraduate in HR management. I'm going to use that to, to make money and continue to support my children. And the more this new life was beginning, the more, and what I, people don't know, that is also have a master's in counseling psychology, and my thesis was on grief. Mm -hmm. And that was before anything happened before he died, before he was diagnosed, before it w I was in the UK. I lived in England for a decade. That's where I studied my first degrees. And I said, um, okay, I, I, I want to help people get through this. And I had business mentors at the time um, helping me build the HR business. And they said to me, this is out of the question. This is actually important. These are wonderful people amazing mentors. They're, they were in their 60s and 70s. They had lived in the world. They have led big corporations and companies, and I respected them. And I said, but I want to I wanna do this thing and, and help other people. And they said, Christina, that's a great idea, but do this as a hobby, mm. not as a job. Do you know what I did next? That I didn't share this yesterday. I canceled all of my future meetings with them. Wow. And these people loved me. They, had, they wanted to help me so much. They loved my story. And there's me. I was smart. I was fast. I was a great coach, right? I helped all these leaders. I had such potential in the corporate world, right? And I terminated. I literally, I remember the moment. 
and 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 for those who have already done this, it is a moment in time. I remember the moment where I said, I think I'm going to give this a shot. And I went and picked up the phone and canceled all these meetings that I had with them to build the HR business because I couldn't go to them to tell them about this because they were shutting it down. Mm -hmm. So there will be people in your life, listeners, <laughs> that will try to stop you from making the biggest dream of your life come true. And they're the people who love you. And that's why it's so hard because you trust them. And they're so not knowledgeable and experienced. And you're going to say, but they're saying the truth. And the survivor self will say, that's right. You listen to them. What are you thinking going down that path? So that's how it started. Wow. Yeah. So actually, you've mentioned the survivor self a couple times mm -hmm. now. And so can you maybe, because I think we all have that, whether or not, I mean, we all I, obviously grief and loss is, yeah. is so different for everybody. But how, wh what part of us is that? Yes. So, um, uh, I remember when I first started writing about the survivor self in my in my book, um, and the way that I I d just uh, composed everything, I thought people were gonna think I'm crazy. But obviously, this um, this analysis, this metaphor, this uh, description of that part of us really makes sense for our brain. So imagine there is a fear center inside your brain that is here to protect you from anything bad. And I mean, we are humans are made to survive things and to respond to danger. But the fear center sometimes doesn't just respond to an earthquake or, 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 or violence or a response to possible uh, things that can go wrong. So after any kind of life interruption, whether it's trauma, uh, death, divorce, breakup, job loss is a huge one. And mm -hmm. I, I love to talk about that a lot. Um, uh, people who are unemployed right now, and what a word to describe, you know, uh, trauma, because when you lose your job, it's very traumatic, especially for those who have identified with that job so much. So any kind of life interruption, whatever that is, takes place, our fear center is activated, and we create mapping inside our brain that will make sure that we survive that life interruption. Now, that part of us I realized after working with so many people for so many years, we love because it keeps us safe. But it doesn't just keep us safe. It actually keeps us in a place that I call the waiting room, where we go to be safe, where we go to process, and we go to heal. And that's wonderful, and that is great. However, the brain gets used to us being there, so we never leave. And we think that is our second, third chapter. We think that's the new life. And it's hard and we just have to get through. So the survivor self talks to us a lot. And it says things like, this job is great and you shouldn't leave it. What are you thinking? Remember when your father lost all that money when you were growing up? It's very factual. It is very detailed and it makes a lot of sense. But it will stop you from doing incredible things in your life. Because incredible things that are made of dreams are risky. So you yeah. just mentioned a couple of other different kinds mm -hmm. of loss besides death. Yes. So you talk about grief, but I, and I think we initially think of death, but is there a difference in the brain? I know you've done a lot mm -hmm. of brain scans yeah. and studies between uh, divorce, losing a job, miscarriage, or mm. death. Yes. So there's something that I, I have named invisible losses. And I know I get, I do get, um, I, I want to, before I say what, what I'm about to say next, I want to say that all, every loss is difficult. And yes, death is catastrophic and immediate. Um, however, when we experience invisible losses, like a miscarriage, uh, like a job loss that your neighbor really doesn't know you lost your job, um, and you don't say anything because it's shameful. Like um, being abused as a child, uh, like being rejected from um, a community. And in this world here that we are, there's a lot of rejection. And I want to very quickly share a rejection that took place uh, as I was becoming who I am. I, was, I had published my book, I was helping a lot of people and I was invited at this dinner with other authors that were more well-known than I was. I'm going to share. This is important um, because it is so invisible, and it was a big loss for me. And uh, the time came 
uh, and I cannot name any names because they're all very <laughs> well known. The time came um, and I was uh, waiting to walk with them to the dinner. An ambassador comes from that group from there on the other side of the room and I'm there to come to tell me that they are taking uh, back their invitation <gasps> and that uh, they, I can't go for dinner. In front them. of everybody. Yeah, it was very clear. We had to take the elevator down at the same time. Um, so, Christina, I am so sorry, uh, but you can't come to dinner with us anymore. It's it being back at the playground, isn't it? You yeah. can't play yeah. with us. And yeah. this is actually a very important conversation within our communities yeah. because there's, all, uh, there's a lot of like, you can't sit with us, you can't, mm -hmm. you can't uh, play with us because you're not as well known as we are. You don't have as many likes and followers as we have. It doesn't matter that we are all from the same publisher or whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So this, this woman comes and you could see she's distraught by what she's doing. But she was sent mm. by the others to do it. So she said, I am so sorry. I can't have you. You can't come anymore. Like, we were ready to go. Yeah. Wow. I knew in that moment in time that I was either going to burst into tears in front of her or I was going to run downstairs and cry because it was, I was, a sh it was shameful. Yeah. It was a, a shameful moment. And I said... Okay, no problems. Um, so I started walking towards the elevator. <laughs> we all go in the elevator together. Uh. <laughs> and I could write a whole book about the feelings of what happened to you when you're being rejected, whether you're in the school play playground, whether you're in this playground, or whether you are on your way to a new playground, but the kids in that playground don't want you anymore. So I remember being in that elevator, and they're all there, and I'm just looking on the ground, saying to myself, I can't believe this moment is happening right now. So I go out, they take a right, I take a left. We are in the New York we are in New York City. And I was staying at a hotel a few blocks down, sunglasses on, and I cried all the way there. The damage that takes place when an invisible loss happens within you is much more catastrophic than something that people have accepted as a traditional loss versus something like this. Who do I go and tell this to? Get the, over it, Christina. Yep. Get right. over it. And the survivor self said, well, what were you trying to do? You're not good enough mm. to be with them at the same dinner table. You're not famous. You're not well known. These people, you know. And of course, I shamed myself or the survivor even yep. more. And I sat in that hotel room and cried for hours. And I will never forget it. Uh, and I, I'm sharing this here with this group of people, these listeners, because as you're making your dream come true, there's a very, very good chance that you're going to be rejected by your seeming peers. Or Even your husband. Both of us have the same story, by the way. Is I don't that know right? if you knew that. Yeah. But yeah. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Same exact story. That's why we started the podcast. Are you because serious? Because of the infidelity, yeah. And so wow. we end up, a lot of our listeners are going through or have gone through some sort of infidelity yes. or divorce or wow. a big, big change in their life. So this is so good. No, and, and, and to talk about divorce and infidelity, oh my gosh, the women that have read second first or have come to my community because they're grieving a divorce, they actually, at first, they're very quiet because they feel they have no right to their grief. I'm, <laughs> I, I know, get, I'm about to cry. I get very, very animated about this. And it, 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 I get um, so upset about it. And here's what I'm going to say to anyone who has been left behind, abandoned, rejected, cheated on, left for someone better or whatever that is, and you're picking yourself from the ground, you, my dear friend, not only have lost your identity, the way you saw yourself, your worthiness, your credibility, you, you, your survivor self, you're the part of your brain that is trying to keep you alive is saying that you're not good enough and you have to go and hide. Hide so no more loss is going to take place. So we go to that hiding place and we hide and we eat and we drink. And we go into relationships that are not right for us because we're protecting ourselves from the one that could be right because we could lose them. And millions of women and some men and some men. So I don't want to take out the men because they do suffer as well. Millions of women... Never, never, ever 
get to see the catastrophic element of the invisible loss they've just experienced because they are ashamed to even share it and they're ashamed to even um, have someone really mirror what is happening to them. They lost everything. Rejection, abandonment is, is one of the biggest. People have committed suicide for that. Do not underestimate it. Find, and and, and if, if someone is asking, what should I do? Find someone to, to, to share. First, make a list of all the invisible losses that have taken place after your relationship was offered. And, and we can actually talk about examples, right? Yeah. What was an invisible loss for you? Uh, like my future. Yes. You know, Gone. like we had plans for our anniversaries mm -hmm. and, and things that we just never got to do. Yeah. In fact, today is my, would have been my 12 year anniversary, wow. ironically. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how the universe kind of yeah. uh, orchestrates? Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so many things. I think just, uh, you know, plan. It's interesting because I was like, I felt things were unfair because I was like, well, we had plans to do this and, and mm -hmm. now I can't or, um, yeah, some identity for sure. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking how hard it was to, uh, to th when I remember people saying, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't think in terms of me, it was always like, what do, what are we mm -hmm. doing? You know? Yeah. So there was a big shift there as well. There's yeah. So many things, best friend, the person to talk to every day. Yeah. No, even um, like not only say chance for children, but like you do feel like at some point you yes. might have a, like yeah. a family or you might have yeah. children with yeah. that yes. person. Yes. And the, and all of those things are conversations you're having with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not um, externalized. They're not really shared unless you meet someone sure. with the same exact story. And then you give yourself license to talk about all the things that are hiding. However, I'm going to say that the, the most um, hurting invisible losses are the ones that you can't even see. That you can't even discover for yourself because, because your brain has spent so much try, time hiding them from you so you don't get more hurt and hiding them from the world that you uh, miss, you don't see them. You don't see them at all. And they, um, they're much deeper. So I want to share an example um, of, of something that just, uh, and this is a recent, like last week, this week, two days ago, a day ago, um, someone uh, was sharing, we were talking about invisible loss and someone was sharing online. Um, when I asked that question, and I said, I want something that you haven't shared with anyone. Um, I want something that has taken place uh, in your private life when nobody was watching. And this woman wrote that um, she used to hold hands with her husband. And now, every night she goes to bed, she holds her own hand. You know, and then all these other women under that, me too. I thought it was the only one doing that. Me too, me too, me too. I sat there and I cried. I cried about that. And why am I crying about that and not about the many messages about someone sharing with me that they lost, uh, you know, uh, a husband? Like that touched me so deeply that there are people alone at night holding their own hands because they're lonely and they have nobody there by their side and they miss the person they used to hold. They used to go to bed and hold hands. The, the fact that you don't have that ability anymore, anymore is an invisible loss and it means everything. And we don't talk about those lonely moments, that those alone moments that we have with anyone. I will never, and I said to her, I will never forget that share. Yeah. It's Does, so, well, did you have a question? Yeah, well, but go ahead. Well, no, it's interesting. It's, um, it is one of those things where especially now it's kind of this feeling of like, I don't know if you've had this experience and maybe I would love to hear from your like perspective. Sometimes you don't know just how deep some of those things go. Yes. You think you're over it and then it will pop up years yes. later and you and you just go, you're right back to that yeah. place and it reverberates. I always yes. say to Danny oftentimes, like, I don't know that I even understand the full scope of what the rejection in my marriage yes. meant to me. I was like, yes. I understood the, the tangible stuff and the, but like, how is that reverberating into my future relationship? So what do you do if someone's listening to this and they're going, I just want to be over this, Christina. Like, mm -hmm. I just want to move forward. I want to be over this. I don't want to have these things, these echoes. Echoes, of, I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> they are, you know, of yeah. betrayals or yes. like, or loss or whatever. 
what do you do you honor them what do you do in that yeah so it's a it's um it's almost like here's here's the the way i'm going to describe this um imagine if you lived in a house that was messy all the time like not normal mess that i have in my house right now (laughs) my closet is a mess like not like the normal like there's uh, dishes in the sink imagine this is what i want everyone to imagine because this is how it is that you get up from the bed every day and there's so many things on the floor that you have to find your way around throughout the house. So you're, imagine you want to go to the bathroom in the middle of the, middle of the night and you're stumbling upon shoes and lots of clothes and furniture that's upside down. And depending on the loss and depending on the invisibility level um, and the shame level, though there's more so for some people it's like trying to come out of like the maze of a of a house that is not just messy but but it has like everything in front of you so you get used to living like this and unless you say i am going to start moving that furniture out of the way and you have to hold it you have to lift it and you have to take it to another place outside of your life. And the only way to do that is by saying what they are. If you can't see what you're moving, I mean, imagine trying to do this blindly. Mm. You'll hurt yourself. So you have to name it. If it's holding my hand at night, and what does that mean for me? Does it mean that I feel like nobody can hold my hand anymore? And if that's true, then what does that mean? How is that affecting your life today? So write down a list of all these invisible losses and then find a friend or a group or something that you can share that you feel that you're not um, uh, you're not feeling judged Um, and uh, grief is very competitive so Mm. um, the the people who have gone through tragedies they um, think that they should be winning the grief competition right the people who, you know, and I shared this yesterday, the people who have, um, uh, there's a kid at school who gets bullied at, um, every day and they, um, they can't tell their parents, they can't tell anyone. And then they kill themselves because of, because of it. Yeah. Who was in more danger? The invisible, the, the shame, the loss, the grief that was invisible. The person who had an experience that everyone could see and everyone respected and they gave them their time and space, they're not in as much danger as the person who is alone at home. And I believe with all of my heart, even though suicide is not something that we can, um, we can change very easily, um, but in our community, in the, in the world where there's so much rejection because you don't get invited, you're not chosen, you're failing every day. And let me say, there's a lot of failure in, in running your own business. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers, uh, the percentages is accurate. So when you're going through so much behind the scenes, but then in front of everyone, you're looking as if you got it together, the duality of that experience will ultimately hurt you dramatically. Yeah. So that's loss, real loss. Is there a difference um, in the way someone perceives loss if you knew it was like kind of the mm-hmm. competition too. And I'm wondering yes. if people even brought this up to you of like, well, at least you knew your husband was going to die. Mm-hmm. You had time mm-hmm. to know versus somebody who was blindsided. It was taken, it was out of the blue suicide or yeah. a blindsiding affair mm-hmm. versus like, I saw this coming. Does it matter? Oh yeah. So I have, this has been uh, asked uh, thousands of times and people actually I'm remarried and, uh, and I hope I, I know he's okay with me sharing this. His wife uh, died. Uh, we didn't know each other. He lived about uh, three or four miles away from me. We never met. Um, he's one year older than me. His wife was the same age as my husband. Um, uh, she collapsed in the shower and died, just like that, suddenly. So his loss is sudden. My loss took three and a half years. And we've talked about that a lot. And people do say, you know, my husband got in the car to go to work and he never came back. You had time to say goodbye. I want to say that loss is so complex that when we put it into easier, harder categories, we all lose. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like this is hard. I was grieving for three and a half years, right? Before, um, did 
did him uh, when he died that day was that easier for me i don't think so i have to tell you um it's one thing to know someone is about to die and another thing to actually uh, see them die and, and like it's almost like uh what what this is you can't understand it the yeah. brain we live in the, we can't understand death it's a very complex thing for divorce it's the same question you knew that your husband could leave you but you knew it because you could see things you had conversations you had doubts but you were together you're living in the same house you're raising your kids versus the woman that finds out on one day uh, you know it's the same you know like someone who was shocked with lies and like what who are you versus someone who could see something was going on but wasn't sure like it's mm -hmm. The loss is dramatic. Once it happens, it's like you can never go back. Mm -hmm. um, I think that um, we can't, we should never compete when it comes to grief. It's actually criminal, as far as I'm concerned, because I want to go to those who commit suicide. The thing is, when we lose people to suicide, this is the one sentence everyone says. I never knew. That's right, that person is in, in, lives in darkness and in sorrow every day for things that you couldn't possibly even understand. And that's why they never shared it. When I'm crying, this silly dinner thing, according, I mean, hey, here, here's the conversation I was having myself. Christina, you've been through hell and you're crying about not being invited to dinner. And this is the answer I'm gonna say to myself is that use that knowledge on you. Like this was kind of, uh, I cried so much, uh, it was ridiculous. But you have to respect that moment for yourself. And then you have to surround yourself with friends who respect that moment too, mm. period. Otherwise we're all gonna be in places where we're thinking of ending things, uh, thinking of um, quitting things and, and doing things that we shouldn't be doing to ourselves. Life is precious and special so crazy it's funny you said that um this literally happened just a few weeks ago and I probably was hormonal but uh I, I got an email from this man who listened to the podcast who's definitely not our demographic and just <laughs> sent me this message about how I talk too fast and oh how God, yeah. I you know haven't gotten through my own stuff and whatever and I just bawled I went into the room and I cried and I was like, maybe I'm not good at this. And then I'm like, maybe I'm making the podcast bad for Jill. And then you just start going down this, this spiral. And I was like, I should just quit. We should just stop doing this. <laughs> is that the survivor self? Like, yes, so clearly. Is, because you're protecting the survivor self is going to protect you in that moment. Inside. Hey, don't yeah. put, this is a danger zone to get the email from this guy, yeah. to put yourself out there in front of all these people. Yeah. It's safe that you quit. Right. That's exactly accurate. Yes. Yeah. But it's not, it's, 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 it's the worst. It's the opposite of what we should be doing. Totally. And it's like, if I didn't have a business partner and if we didn't have the friendship we had, of course I could have gone down that path yeah. of like, you can see how the suicide can happen. Like little yes. things like yes. that. You just start to, cause your mind goes down this crazy, like, oh, now I'm, I'm not even good at that. And then come to think of it, I'm not good at anything. And then you're just going down and this crazy. Yeah. And it hurts so much. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that, that, that that's what breaks my heart, that there are millions of people that did not go through a death or a divorce. They're just alone. Nobody's holding their hand and they don't believe in themselves. And they think that it's, there's no point in them being alive. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening to the person who's mm -hmm. listening to this, if that's you, talk to someone about it. Mm -hmm. You must, this is the first step. There's no other, there's nothing else. And, and, and to know, and, and you, we can't even convince them because the survivor self will come and say, but she doesn't know me. She doesn't know how bad of a person I am. She doesn't know what I've or done I'm in my life. Or I'm burdening them or, yes, with yes. my complaints. That's yeah. right. Yes. Um, and this is not a burden. Actually, the people who um, are attached to an identity that is a victim identity um, uh, are not the ones, I guess, um, quiet. Mm. They're the ones that have already complained and shared. And uh, the ones that are really suffering are the ones that never really talk about things. Even when they start to talk about it, um, the mo they observe uh, the people who are suffering deeply. They are great observers. So let's say I'm starting to talk about it with you. I will focus on your nonverbal. And I will, s I will say, my survivors will say, oh, she doesn't want to hear this. Because I will pick the slight eye movement 
and this light, uh, you know, my phone or whatever, they're going to go on their phone and then I will change the subject because I don't feel worthy enough to even share something so difficult. Gosh. And suicide is worse. Between the eyes on that one. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, it's, and I love that you had mentioned the victim kind of mindset or mentality because I want to know for people who are listening to this and they do, they recognize their mm -hmm. survivor self and you do such a, uh, just a beautiful job of explaining that because I think all of us have that. Yeah, what, everyone. Yeah. And so you, you say the waiting room, we're yes. in that safe space yes. where our survivor self is keeping us safe, you know, post, um, grief or loss or betrayal or whatever that looks like. How, okay. Okay, cool. How do I get mm -hmm. to, Out. if I'm not living my second first, like mm -hmm. you call yes. it my second first yeah. right now in this waiting room, even though it feels different, yeah. how do I get to the, how do I get to the actual yeah. difference? Yeah. What's, what's that? And I guess the advice that I gave, and I gave this yesterday and I said, do not jump, hmm. do not. Um, do something that is big. And okay, so I'm also going to say that, of course, there are some people who do that and they do jump out and it does work. Eat, pray, love. Yep. <laughs> Let's talk about that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and millions of people bought the have book. Done that, and they've done that And now. they went to India and they um, done all the things they did and good for them. Now, we don't know the reasons why their brain was able to do that. There are things in their life, and I swear to you, the people who have done things like that have also done other similar things. So there is a brain map inside their brain that has already been cultivated and nurtured to allow for them to do this. But there's people like us that don't know how to jump, and jumping and, and, to, and the net to appear is a very traumatic experience. So the fear center for those folks like me um, will be so active that, that they will try it once and it will hurt so much and they will go in the waiting room and stay there forever. There are millions of people who are living a shadow life. Shadow. So here we are in this shadow life. Within us, we know there's a part of us that I call the watcher self that can see our life from um, a vantage point. We know that we are not living to our potential. We know this. We know this. We know this. And we're sitting there, and there's uh, actually most waiting rooms look like beautiful uh, living rooms. Um, it's not that it's... Uh, I don't want people to think a waiting room is like the dark place where you hate to be there. Actually, it's comfortable. It's really comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a place where there is safety, which is wonderful. There is comfort. There is... Um, there's some self-love because you say, you know, I'm going to just take care of myself right now and I'm going to stay home. But when you repeat those things over and over again for months, for years, you're not living at all. You're not living your life. So here's what you need to do first. You do something that doesn't make you feel afraid. And it takes you outside of that room of that space, of that job, of that relationship. The waiting room could be a relationship. Mm -hmm. That you're in a relationship that is great, but you're not really in love. I know someone is listening right now. They're in this relationship. Yep. Right? Or they've started a company. They've done a business. They've been doing it for a long time. But here's the thing. They have evolved to someone else. So when we start a business, we are, this is who we are. Living in that business and doing this business for four, five, six years has made us into someone else, an evolved version of us. Now we have different interests. Our identity is completely different. It is not the identity that started this business. And there's another waiting room. So we are, oh, but um, this makes me money. I can, uh, I, I have my own time, my, my schedule. I'm my own boss. But not enjoying it as much as we used to. But yet we stay there. And we don't, we are now in a, way, in a new waiting room that wasn't a waiting room before, but now it becomes. So the very first thing to do is to do something that you're not afraid of, but that is going towards the new chapter and the new life. And here are some examples. If you are, um, actually, I'm going to use an example uh, that I've, I've done. I've been in that place. I had <laughs> arrived in this place that I was waiting for where, you know, people... To come to my work and, and, and get changed by my work. And then all of a sudden here I was 
and I wanted to <laughs> express myself differently. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you doing? The survivor's like, what? You worked so hard to get here. What are you doing right now? I wanted to write this science fiction book, right? And, and, and so I said, I'm going to just... I'm going to just plug, I call it the plug-in. I'm going to just plug into this life. I'm not going to tell anyone, and this is how far I went with this. I am not going to tell anyone about it. I'm going to do it in my private time, in my room. I'm not even going to tell Eric, my (laughs) husband. (laughs) So I sit and write my first 1,000 words of fiction. I was crying. It was so, I felt alive. It was like, oh my God. Oh my God, what am I going to do now? You know, it was so beautiful to write fiction. It was crap. The fiction was crap. <laughs> I enjoyed writing it. And it was the, and for me and my story, I had evolved into this new place of, because of the work that I'd done, I actually realized that I could do something special. I didn't know that about myself before. And I was like, if I did this, which was very hard, oh, maybe I could... Oh, oh, maybe I could do that thing that I thought it was impossible to do. So I write, this is how I ended up at NASA. This is, people think I went with the other work. I write, again, not telling anyone. I find this administration email online. This is a plugin, people. So whatever you're, you're not letting yourself do, this is how you do it. I write this email not fear. I didn't think anyone was going to respond to me. I write this email to NASA. I say, I discovered there is a rocket launch takes, that's taking place in two weeks from now. I'm in California. This is in Florida. And it is perfect for my story, for my novel that I'm writing. I'm writing this novel about a woman This is the first time I'm telling anyone it's at NASA (laughs) because nobody's going to hear it. I'm writing this story about a woman who um, lost her boyfriend and she's told that he's alive in another galaxy. This is the first time I'm sharing this, by the way, the the story. And there are these X points around the Earth that your rocket launch, this is real. Mm -hmm. The article at your NASA website says that your rocket launch is going to explore the X points around the Earth. And this would be great research for my um, uh, novel. I write it, I send it, woohoo. You know, nobody's going to read this. And of course, I, d- I did get an email from uh, the head of uh, Kennedy Space uh, Station saying, we love your story and uh, let's get you here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and um, you, ha- you have to, uh, when you go to anything, you have to go through, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, 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 that, that you are... You are not a criminal. Like you're security. There's a clearance. Check. Yeah. Uh, there's a. There's a. Uh, it's called something, and I'm blanking right now. Anyway, here's here's the part. Obviously, I have an accent, so I'm from Greece, and then I had a green card for many many years. And you don't need to change your green card, but because my kids are American, I'm like uh, I'm gonna just uh, I'm gonna apply for citizenship, and I and I became an American citizen just a year prior to that. If I was not an American citizen, I would not be allowed to go, period. Wow. But I was, and there's this piece of paper that I needed, and I went in my closet, and I'm like, where's the piece of paper? <laughs> I go there, I send it to them, and there was a NASA for a whole week. Here's how the magic of the plugin works. You plug in, in the, oh, I never tell anyone else the biggest of your dreams, because they will shut them down, because mm. that's their story, not yours. So, I hid, I hid the beginning of the story that, that I was writing. I didn't tell anyone I was uh, writing to NASA. And when I went to NASA, I didn't tell anyone I went for my fiction novel. That's how, which would have been a cool thing to share. I didn't tell anyone. But So now that's my ne- that is my next book. I'm writing it, right? Wow. But the thing is, and I have the courage and the guts to say, I can write this. It's not going to take away from everything I've done. If you are interested in pursuing something else, don't go and quit your job. Don't go and quit your... Do it when it feels not safe, but when your fear center is not going to lose its mind and it's going to lock you up in the waiting room and then you're never going to leave. So how did you do that when it came to dating and meeting your husband Oh, now? yes. That's a good... Like school. deciding to... Yeah. 
move on to the next mm-hmm. life? And was there guilt on like maybe feeling like your husband that you behind. lost? There was some kind of like guilt. There's a lot of guilt. And yeah. I remember, um, so I want to share something because I believe in um, physics and, um, you know, people call the law of attraction such a basic name, law of attraction. I believe in in a lot of layers or realities that don't exist here. So I used to say to my friends after he died that I will never, ever, ever um, meet anyone else. And I'm, I'm never going to go on a date. I'm not going on a date. Mm-hmm. I'm not going um, to pursue it. My survivor's like, you're never going to meet anyone like him. Of course. Who is going to be like him? Not only he was uh, incredibly, not just smart, he was a genius. He was called a genius. But he was very handsome. Six foot four. I met him in Denmark as an exchange student. Um, it, it was like the fact, there was a... It, even then, I was like, okay, I can't believe I got someone. Like, like <laughs> imagine I, I did it once. There's no chance right. in me ever of doing it again, right? So I used to say to my friends, um, if I'm ever going to meet anyone, and this is exactly how I said it, he's going to have to come and sit next to me. That's how easy it's going to be. It's going to be someone just, oh, you, I'm sitting here on this bench or chair. <laughs> here he is. So was it a year and a half later? I'm going to this bereavement group uh, called the Children's Room. It's in the Boston area, in Arlington. Um, and I've been going there for a year, at least. So you, the parents go in one room, the kids go in another room. So I'm sitting there after the end of that corporate job that I hated, uh, the end of that day. I'm wearing all these corporate clothes, these brown pants, I remember the day. <laughs> and everyone around me is at least 10 to 20 years older than me. Mm. Think of, I'm in my mid-30s, I'm 35, and everyone there is 60, 50, 70. Of course, you don't expect a 35-year-old handsome dude walking in that door. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, (laughs) and there he is. Like, what? Um, And he comes in with kids, his kids, and I'm like, he must be dropping someone off. And he comes and sits next to me. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I literally turn my whole body around and not looking at him at all. Oh, away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so this is how it began. There he was um, walking into that room. He's sitting next to me and he goes, nice to meet you. I said, nice to meet you too. I knew. I knew what was happening yeah. uh, because it doesn't happen often and yeah. it only happened once before. And um, and, then, and then we were there for three months and I actually, I plugged in first to use the terminology. So I don't know what possessed me, but I'm like, I'm going to send an email. This is a plug-in, another plug-in, right? So you're not ready to date. You're not ready to go out. Um, I need you to find something that is safe. So I said, I'm going to send an email to the whole group and I'm going to invite them all to go for dinner Mm. together. So that's safe. Hey, everyone, 10, 15 people. Shall we uh, uh, organize a night out uh, for us? You know, we only see each other every two weeks. A minute later, the only response was from him. So then we took it just on our phones, back to back, and then I end up, that was a Monday, and we went at a restaurant to have dinner on a Saturday. Love it. Alone. Everyone responded like a week or two later. I'm like, but that, if I hadn't done that, and we always joke around, you asked me out, I said, I don't know. (laughs) But I plugged in, right? I was plugging in before I knew what it was. And many people who come to me and say, you know, I was doing, I didn't have words for it, but I was doing that. And, And if you're listening I want you to look back at the things, look for the maps that are already existing that are actually working really hard to get you to the new life and the survival self is deleting them. It's, it's not deleting them, but it's trying to make you not look at them. They are there. So that was my plug-in and, and dating him was very hard for me. Yeah. We call it the, fr- the frozen zone. Um, we would, when I would go to see him at his house and we had kids, so he would come when the kids were sleeping and a lot of people are dating with kids 
after their first relationship. And I would sit on that side of the couch, on one side of the couch, and he would sit on the other. And every time he would try to come close, I would say, I just need time. I can't. So I was frozen. And he talks about it now. Like, do you remember the first year? It took me a long time to defreeze. Um, scared, not, not because I was in love with the... A dead man, as I say often, I know it's very dramatic, uh, not only because I was in love with my first husband, it was because it was so hard to, because to, I knew I would, I would like him, I mean, I, I found him very attractive, it, you're still human, right? But I was so scared. scared, a real fear, like this was, and I know you guys have been there, like real fear. When it means something, that's when the survivor is the loudest. Mm. So it yeah. makes sense because you go, I don't want to lose. I don't want to feel that again, mm -hmm. even though I've already been through it. I don't want to do that again. No. I know I could survive it. That's yeah. the thing that's a little bit different. I think if you would ask me, you know, a few years before I had found out about the infidelity and I said like, you know, could you handle it? I would have said no. Right. Yes. I would have been like, I can't even consider Sitting. that being yes. an option. Yeah. And now I see, I haven't seen myself go through that. Danny too. It's like, I could handle it, but I don't want to. No. So let me just stay safe. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And, and that's a natural default state of, of, of our brain. And, and people are always asking the question, can I get rid of the survivor self? And I wish I could say, yes, you can. But you can give, give that part of your breaks. Um, uh, it will become less loud. Uh, you, will, you will grow what I call the thriver self, which is the, the brain, uh, new baby maps that are being created, uh, the part of us that is more kid-like, uh, that is not afraid. Um, but it takes time. Um, it's a process. And I wish I could say, I have looked for the magic wand for the longest part of my life to m change things. I wish I had a magic wand to make it all go away today, but we don't. Um, it takes time. And give yourself that time to do it. I wanted to ask something about time. is because mm -hmm. people say time heals. And I feel like it does. But I've also seen people say time doesn't heal like doing the work heals because yeah. you could go through time and just push things away. Yeah. So do you think there is a certain amount of time people need or is there something you need to be doing during that time and just enduring the time? I used to say, and I've said this for many years, time doesn't heal, action does. Mm. And, and, and maybe that statement on its own, people will feel weird about it, but I want to I wanna say something around it. So when, you, when something really bad happens, you do need... I'm not going to use the word time. You need, you need um, space and you need um, experiences that are healing. And um, I actually even go as far as to say, go and date Mr. Right Now and not Mr. Right, because Mr. Right Now is the person that can make you feel, do whatever it takes to get through. Actually, my husband used to, my first husband used to say that when I die. He used to say this to me, and it's the best advice. And I've used it, and I and you'll make so many mistakes. Do whatever you can to get through this. Do not judge yourself. And he was amazing to say this to me. Um, and do whatever you can to get through. So whether it's giving yourself time, fine. Whether it's going and having sex, and I'm going to be very blunt when I say this. Do that. Um, when, if it's, if it's not having sex, do that. If it is, whatever it is, however horrible it looks or messy or judgmental, it is not you that is doing this. It is the transitional identity. It is the, it is the waiting room. It is the part that you're just, so it's not time that you need. You just need to go out and make mistakes and you need to, to do, to, to do things that make no sense. And then, and then and then give yourself the forgiveness you need mm. um, and, and then start a new chapter. So time is important. It does help, but it's only like 10% of what you need to do. So you can start the process of re-entry, but very gentle in the beginning. I worked with someone, I can't say um, much about this. Um, I worked with someone with a very catastrophic loss um, very, very catastrophic, uh, the worst nightmare you could possibly have. And I did re-entry with that person uh, only the five minutes, the, f the last five minutes of our time together. And I would listen and listen and listen and listen because that was, that was important. And then towards the end, just before we were supposed to be done, I would ask a life re-entry question 
and the most beautiful thing would happen. This person from crying the whole time like this, and the moment I would ask this question because she was engaging a different part of the brain, she would literally, for the first time, make eye contact. This person would just go to a different place to answer that. And that was a moment of reentry. Just the question. Mm -hmm. Just a different color on the wall. I sat in groups and people say to me, I'm disabled, I can't uh, afford, I can't. I would say, you know that when you walk into your house, there's a chair on the left side? Find a way to move that chair to the right side. That's a plug-in. Wow. That is never, er, that is, even if your loss happened yesterday, I want you to move that chair today. Wow. Yeah. And that's how I go through all these many questions and all these <laughs> people. But, but you don't know. But I have... But uh, that chair's been there for 20 years. <laughs> but you didn't ex experience my loss. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what, it li what it's like that I can't... Mm -hmm. I have had people in my class that have they've been disabled. They, they can't walk. They can't see. They can't hear. They, and they have found their way. If they have, so can everyone else. Wow. Yeah. You guys need to pick up um, Christina's book, which is called Second First. Mm -hmm. It's a bestseller. And her second book is called... Where, Where did, did you, go? you go? Yes. Which is incredible. And that just came out last year. Yes. Um, and please join her community. Is it Second Firsts on... On Facebook, on it's Second Face Firsts. On and Inst the blog is... And the blog is The Message in a Bottle. And people can subscribe to that. They can go to christinarasmussen.com or secondfirst.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at christinarasmussen7 because someone else has my name. Um, and I'm there all the time and she blogs every single week yes. new stories and yes. you need to join her community it's so so magical and you. you are magical and a new and podcast and yes. a new podcast and the dear, life, dear podcast. life podcast yes dear life podcast yes. so we follow you follow her on all the things thank you i know thank and you're you so incredible so and this was just Aww. i think such a needed message for our audience and thank you for just putting it so eloquently. you guys couldn't see us here but i was like crying <laughs> about five times so <laughs> <laughs> two days and two big cries oh from you gosh, um yes. thank you so much for being here you guys thank follow you. her connect with christina and you're just the best and we appreciate you so much thank you so much yeah. for having me this was a blast time just flew by didn't exist it in did. our conversation <laughs> I know. so thank you for making this so fun for me as well thank you amazing yeah.